Um, one last thing before I get into my message. Shell and I were in Middleburg last weekend. We were at a church called Solid Ground doing some ministry there. And I just thought I wanted to say one thing about that church that had really stood out to us. You know, we, we've said for a long time that our mission as a church is to plant and strengthen churches. It's part of the four kind of things that we're aiming ourselves at as a community. And uh, we look forward to the day we plant a church, but until that time, it's a real privilege to be strengthening churches. And just think, uh, Pumi was recently in uh, Mauritius, serving Redeemer Church, strengthening them, you know, teaching, caring, prophesying, doing a whole bunch of stuff, just through presence being there. Shane will be preaching at West Point Church in Kluft in two weeks' time, strengthening, serving there. I'm sure others of you are strengthening and serving churches. And it was a real privilege to be there, but the church was 36 years old. It was planted in 1982. And it was so cool to go to Middleburg, which is um, kind of in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's not like this big place. I don't know who in the room has been to Middleburg before. We've got about five, six, seven. Okay, Dave's been Of course you've been there, Dave. But um, we've got a bunch of people that have been there before. But this church is probably the coolest thing in Middleburg, you know. It's an amazing 32 years of faithfulness. Just seeing the word preached, seeing community built, prayers prayed, buildings put up, the community served, all of these things. And it just made me excited, just thinking we're five years in, you know. I don't know where we will be in 27 years as a community, but I just trust that as we serve, as we pray, as we give, as we do, as we, all of these things happen, that actually Jesus will build his bride, the church, and actually the city of Durban will be served, you know. So that's what we get to be part of. And I do just want to say this morning, I love the church. I hope you love the church. You know, Jesus loves his church. And I really believe the church at its best is the hope of the world. And I love that we can share a story of what God's doing in Dubai and what he's doing in Middleburg and what he's doing in Durban and all over. And actually we can just see Jesus building and establishing his kingdom here on earth. And I guess the book of Ephesians really is about the church, you know. It's not so much about going to church or attending church. I think a lot of us here know what uh, the church should do. Or know, um, I guess, a little bit about the church. But we don't always think about what it means to be the church. You know, personalize that for a second. What does it mean for me to be the church? Because as Matt Cole corrected me the other night, church is not something you attend. Church is something we are. We are the church. We are the community of God. And for us, we need to think, what does it look like for us to be church? To be Harbor City, not just in this space, but as we leave here. So this morning, we're in Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 32. We're going to read that in just a second. If you don't have a Bible, it will come up on the screen behind me. But last week, Kimmy preached out of the first half of Ephesians 4. And it really was a a passage on the mature church. You know, what that looks like. And there were just four things that struck me almost as an intro into today's passage that Paul writes about from verse 25 uh, to verse 30. uh, Sorry, around verse 25. The first thing he says is the mature church is Christ-like. More and more, the mature church is becoming like Jesus. The second thing he says is the mature church has got good doctrine. Now, I know that doesn't sound like the coolest thing, you know. The sexiest thing in the world is not to have good doctrine. But Paul's saying the mature church knows the word of God, knows the Bible, knows the scriptures, are filled with it. And I just want to say, guys, our city does have a bunch of teaching going on in it that's not great, you know, not very helpful. And I just want to say, just because it's on a podcast, just because it's in a book, just because you watched it on YouTube, just because the preacher was super polished, just because the church is big, doesn't mean the doctrine is good. And I just really want to encourage us as a community to get into this book, to love it, because it is the word of God to us. And I want to encourage us to know this book and absorb this book and memorize the scriptures that we would be transformed by it. Because uh, what Paul writes there is otherwise we'll be tossed to and fro like little children. We want to be mature and established in the faith. The third thing Paul says at the end there is that a mature church loves people. 
That's one of the things we really fought for in this community. We don't just want to love the people that look like us or are like us or speak like us or similar to us. We want to love everyone in this church, but also in this city. People who are incredibly different to us, the most different on the spectrum they can be. That's what maturity looks like. That selflessly, like Jesus, sacrificially like Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus, we would love people. And fourthly, the mature church contributes. The mature church, out of its time and its energy and its gifting and its money and its everything, contributes to one another that we would be built up and mature. And I think what Nancy said so well and with such passion just now, is if you want to learn how you can contribute in Harvest City, why don't you come and chat to Shane up at the front afterwards. We'll go through 10 minutes of what it looks like for you to serve. He'll get you connected and he'll take you forward. Paul wants us to be the church. He wants us to be the church, to become a mature church. And in the first three chapters that we've looked at, he's given us zero commands. He hasn't told us a single thing to do. He's just told us who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us. He's just labored at this idea of identity so that it gets into our hearts. But now, Paul is telling us how to be the church and what Christians must do. And he's going to start to throw out some commands. He's going to start to throw out some some big to-dos. And he's going to tell us to change in some ways. So as I speak this morning, uh, I don't want to kind of pour guilt or fear or shame or anything like that on us. But I'd love us to just open our hearts, especially if we've been in church for quite a while, just to see if there's anything that God would correct in us or challenge us to change in or adjust in us this morning. So can I just pray and then we'll read this passage. Holy Spirit, I just ask you this morning as we look at Ephesians 4 together that you would open our hearts and speak to us. If there's any way we need to change or adjust, I pray you'd highlight it. I really pray you'd speak to us about it. And I pray that this church would mature and grow to be all that you want her to be. Amen. Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender heart, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Paul starts all of this in verse 17 with these words. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. Now what he means is he's saying this with the authority of Jesus Paul is not just kind of giving his opinions here. He's not just throwing out some thoughts that have popped into his head. He's saying, this is the word of the Lord to Christians. This is what God is saying to us. So we really need to take heart. We need need to really pay attention to what is going on here. And what he says is, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. 
Now listen, I think one of the things we can think as we read that is that Paul is saying all Christians are better than non-Christians. All Christians are more moral than non-Christians. And we know that's not true. No, that's definitely not true. Some of us can think of people who don't follow Jesus, aren't interested in God, aren't interested in religion at all, who are more moral and sweet and kind and generous and servant-hearted and sacrificial than we will probably ever be. Just because you're a Christian or just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're a better person at all. But what Paul is wanting to say here is this, that we can't live the way that the world around us lives. We've got to live differently, distinctly, holy, righteous lives. That's what he's calling us to here in this passage. And what he says is that we must no longer, it's this command coming from Paul, no longer walk a certain way and no longer live the way that we used to live. He's calling us to a different way. And over the first three chapters, what he's done is labored who we are in Christ. This new identity we've got that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are blessed, that we are redeemed, that we are his children in Christ. It's like this amazing identity that he's given to us. And now he says, no longer walk the way you used to live. You need to walk in line with your new identity. You need to live out the new life that you've got in Christ. That is what you're called to do. He spent the first three chapters speaking about our position in Christ. And now he's speaking about our practices or our condition or our behavior, how we live as Christians, how we live as people who are rooted in Christ. John Mark Comer says this. He says, discipleship to Jesus is about one simple question. If Jesus were me, if he lived in my city, Durban or Dubai or Middleburg or wherever you are from, if he lived in my city, had my job, my education, made my salary, had my family, how would he live? And that's what Paul wants us to think through in this passage. What are the things that we need to stop because we're disciples of Jesus? And what are the things that we need to start to do because we're disciples of Jesus? That is what this passage is all about. And now there's this reality for us, because I'm sure many of us in this room have been Christians for a while. If you are new and exploring Christianity, this is great because you're going to know what down the line your life could look like. But for those of us who've been in church for a while, I think what happens is when you first came into the church, when you first were exposed to teaching and the gospel and Jesus and the Bible and all of these things, what happened is we immediately saw the areas of sin and weakness in our lives. We immediately knew the things we needed to change. You know, they were so obvious to us. So we made a change. I remember for me, I think probably as about a 17-year-old, I just came alive to Jesus, you know. He became so real to me. And instantly I knew the big, obvious, external sins in my life that needed to be. You know, I needed to stop getting drunk because my friends and I would probably go to parties every weekend and get blackout binge drunk, you know. So that needed to go first. The next thing, I needed to cut out some of the sexual immorality that was going on in my life because that wasn't the way of Jesus either. And some of those parties I'd been going to were not a good place for me to be, not because it was wrong to be there, but for me as like this baby, young, new Christian, I just wasn't very strong, you know. There was a strong influence on me coming from that place and a strong temptation. And for me, for a while, I just needed to say, I've got to put that stuff behind me. And what about for you? What were the big, obvious, external sins that you needed to cut out of your life? Or maybe today, even as we speak about this, you're going, whoa, I need to take that out of my life. I need to take something off and I need to put something else on. I think what's worse, though, is what happens is we take off those big external obvious sins and we leave those aside and we start coming to church and we listen to a lot of preaching and maybe start to read the Bible and we get used to the ways of Jesus and what can happen over a while is we just get comfortable. We kind of settle into the faith and we've heard it all before 
We've read it all before. We've known it all before. So we stop changing. We stop responding to the word. We know the word of God is authoritative. It is living. It is active. It's God's word to us. But when we hear it, we go, heard that before, so I don't need to do anything with it. Heard that before, so it doesn't apply to me. Rather than saying, I'm not living that out. That applies to my life. I need to repent. I need to turn. I need to put that stuff on. And what can happen with us is our hearts go hard. We amen. We say, yeah, that's true. Well done. Good, good point. But it never changes our hearts or our minds or our lives. We don't continue to change. And what Paul is saying here and what Jesus is calling us to here is a life of renewal where for the rest of our lives we will daily be renewed in little bits and pieces until the day that Jesus returns or we die. Don't settle in sin. Don't get comfortable in your sin. Let's constantly fight sin as a church. And I think there's this picture almost here, this metaphor, of us after a while of making big decisions for Jesus, changing for Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. We kind of just put on our Christian sweatpants, little Christian tracksuit pants, lie on the Christian couch, eat the Christian snacks, watch Christian Netflix, and we just chill. Well, I'm saying, I'm going to fight for the life that Jesus has got for me. I want to live out his teachings. I want to know his word. Just settle into the sweatpants, kind of untuck our shirts, and we just chill. I don't want that for you, and I know that God doesn't want that for you either. Ephesians 4 verse 20 says, But that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not the way you learned Christ. The true teaching about Jesus says that he is our Lord, our God, and our King. And what that means is that we have to submit our lives to him in every way. Now that's hectic. Like, I know a bit about what our culture is like and a bit about what our world is like at the moment. And words like submit are the kind of things that grate against the human soul. You know, you hear submit. And I think for a lot of us, like leadership and authority are things we kind of push off, you know. So you call it more preacher up front. You're calling me to submit to a leader, to God. Great against our soul and our autonomy and our independence and our self-will. And we say, I can't do that. But for us as Christians, we have to submit to God. We don't have a choice. He is our God. He is our Lord. He is our King. And in everything, in every way, from every cent we spend, to every decision we make, to every thought we think, to every word we speak, to our sexuality, to our money, to our work, to every part of our lives, should be submitted to God. It's not mine, it's yours. You know? And actually, we hold it up to Him as like a holy act of devotion and worship and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. And like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Because at the center of our faith is a man who didn't do what he wanted, but laid down his life. He sacrificed himself. He obeyed God. He served when it cost him everything. And we likewise are meant to do the same. Say, my life is yours. I belong to you. I don't belong to myself. Have your way with me, Jesus. Jesus calls the shots. It's his way. It's his road. It's his will. He says what we can and can't do. Our every decision should be submitted to him. Hebrews 10 verse 14 says this. For by one sacrifice, he's talking about Jesus' death on the cross. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And I shared this a couple of weeks ago. And I wanted to share it again because I think this tension is something we're working through. This tension of being saints and sinners at the same time. Every one of us is a saint in Christ. But every one of us is still a sinner because we are in this lifelong process of being sanctified or being made more like Jesus. 
So what this passage says here is that in Christ we've been made perfect forever. So the way God sees you, if you're a Christian, is perfect forever. You can have sinned, you can have messed up, God sees you as perfect forever because of your position in Him. It's incredibly good news. But at the same time, we are not perfect forever. We are being made holy. We're in this process of changing and transforming and becoming like Jesus. And that will carry on until the day that we die. So in Christ, we're perfect forever. But our condition, the practices are imperfect. We're flawed. We sin every day. I'm sure I've sinned externally or internally in some way today already. But God is making me new from the inside out. And that is what each of us are called to give our lives to. And Paul speaks about this. And he writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 to 11. And he talks about some of the sin. He says, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy. He's speaking about materialism, which is probably something that we all wrestle with. Nor drunkards, nor revilers, which is kind of an old word, which means people who tear others down. Who say things about people to rip them to shreds. And I think in Durban sometimes we have that issue, you know. Nor the swindlers, the cheats, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. And I love that. You know, you can almost picture Paul writing this letter from prison, thinking about the stories of the church in Ephesus. And thinking, Sheesh, okay, there's that story and that story. And all of these sins, all of these things that he's speaking about, he's saying, that was you. That was your story. That was your past. That was your life. That was who you are. But you were washed. Your sins were washed away by what Jesus has done. And you were sanctified, meaning you've left those things behind and you're in a process of following Jesus and being changed to become more like him. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. And such were some of you. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, you've entered into a life of transformation and repentance to the day that you die. Jesus is going to be working on your heart and your mind and your life and your actions and every part of you changing you more and more into his image. It's going to be a wrestle. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a process. It's going to require some effort, not to earn God's love, but because of God's love. But each of us are being changed in that way. And if you're visiting here and you're new, I know some of you are here for the first, second, third, fourth time today. The reality is everyone here in Harvest City or in solid ground or in city lights or in the church in Corinth or the church in Ephesus has got a past. And it's got a story of sin and brokenness and being defined by something other than Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is actually you've entered into a new identity. And you need to live in line with that new identity. You need to start to live out a new way. You can't live the way that you used to live before. And as a pastor, I probably have this privilege, you know. I've got this front row seat to many people's lives. And some of you have probably sat with me and shared big struggles or big sins or big moments in your past or things that people have done to you in the past that have been huge for you. So I have the front row seat of many people's lives and souls, but at the same time, I've got the front row seat to seeing a lot of sin. And I think one of the things I want to say to you today is sin doesn't work. (coughs) Sin doesn't work. And I think sometimes that's a lie we believe, you know. When sin is new or little in our life, sin can be quite tempting, you know. I don't know what it's like. I'm tempted to sin all the time. Sin can feel exotic. Sin can feel different. Sin can feel a little bit naughty. Sin can feel like a bit of an adventure or fun, you know. And little bits of sin is manageable. It's fun in our lives, in a sense. But then sin starts to get a bit bigger, or sin's been part of our life for a little bit longer. And it's less pleasant or appealing. It's lost some of its desire or its taste. And it's manageable, but it's not as great. 
But over years and decades, what you see is sin becomes a crushing burden for people. It becomes overwhelming and it destroys. Sin destroys lives. And that's what Paul is saying here is don't play with sin anymore. We need to leave sin behind. We need to leave those old ways behind. And we need to embrace the new way of Jesus because sin kills. Don't settle in sin. Ephesians 4 verse 22 to 24 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Take off the old self, put on the new self. It's very much like a changing of outfits illustration. You know, you're wearing one outfit today, and I'm going to take that outfit off, and I'm going to put on a completely new outfit. Take you off the old outfit of sin, and putting on the new outfit of Jesus. And when I was thinking about this a little bit this week, I was thinking of uh, people who wear uniforms for their job. You know, so you might think of um, a soldier, a fireman, an astronaut, a judge, or maybe a policeman. People who put on this outfit, and you see them and you know what they do. You know, they've got a certain responsibility, they've got a certain authority, they've got a certain position in society because of what they wear. And you see them differently because of that. And it's the same with Christians. What Paul is saying here is when we put on Christ, we have a new identity. And we have a new responsibility to live out the certain way of Jesus. We put on Christ and we take off the rest. Because when we put on Christ, we put on a whole new life. That's what's going on here. I want you to think about the policeman for a second. If you left here today and you went, you know, Grant's talk about putting on, actually, you inspired me about Jesus, but it inspired me to become a policeman. So I'm going to go to the shop and I'm going to become a policeman today. And you walk into policeman are us, and you're standing there at the counter, and you try and buy the uniform. You know, I want a police uniform, I want a badge, I want a gun, I want a baton, I want the whole spiel. Even if you could get that, that wouldn't make you a policeman, you know? You could put that outfit on, you would not be a policeman at all. The reality is, to become a policeman, you need to go through a process. To become a policeman, you need to do some studying, you need to sit through some lectures, you need to write some tests, you need to do some training. They don't just give anyone a gun and a badge, you know? You go through all of that, and if you pass, you have your graduation. Now, I haven't been to a police graduation, but I've watched Police Academy. Anyone else? (laughs) So in Police Academy, when the cadets graduate, they're in their uniform, and they go forward, and they shake the commandant to whoever's hand, badge, gun, baton, outfit, you can go out and police, you know? That's kind of the picture that we've got. For us in Jesus, we don't have to do anything to be in Christ. It's actually stupidly easy to become a Christian. I don't know if you've thought about this before. We don't have to do anything to be in Christ because he's done it all already. You know, he lived the perfect life we can't live. He died on the cross for our sins. He's dealt with sins so we can be reconciled to God. If you want to be in Christ, it's as easy as a simple prayer today. It's a basic thing. I was chatting with a pastor this week and we were talking about that. Romans 10 verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no asterisk there that says, and this thing, and this thing. If you repent of your sin and you believe in Jesus, you are a Christian. You're in Christ. But now what Paul is trying to show us is how we live that out. Not to earn God's love, not to be a Christian, but to live out our Christianity, to live out our faith. And I want you to think about this for a second. If you're that policeman who's trained and got in their badge and they've been on the beach, you know, And then all of a sudden you decide, I'm going to resign. You hand in your badge, you quit from the police force, 
You are no longer a policeman, you know? You can't just take to the streets and use the same authority that you used to have. You can't just pull out your gun in public and shout, freeze, and just start arresting people, because your authority's gone. You don't have the power anymore. If you get caught doing it, you're going to go to jail, you know? You do not have the authority to do the things that you used to do. And it's exactly the same for us in Christ. Before, we used to wear the old outfit of sin. That's what was on us. But in Christ, we have been resigned from that life. We are no longer in sin anymore. That means we don't have the authority and we don't have the right to carry on in sin. You can't do it. It's not in line with your identity. You have a new identity. You have a new responsibility. So when you say, freeze, you're under arrest. When you sin, you are not living in line with who you are. You don't have the right to do that anymore because you're a completely new person in Christ. I want to ask you this morning, what do you need to take off this morning? And what do you need to put on to follow Jesus and to be a Christian? I've got this friend in ministry. Um, he was telling me this story a few months ago. Uh, they had a guest preacher in at their church. Kind of a famous guy, world famous guy. And this guy, led by the Spirit, just said to this guy, can I just have lunch with you today? It's kind of a big deal, you know. So they had lunch and they were sitting and they were chatting. It probably wasn't a long thing. But this guy just looked him in the eyes and he said, what are you doing that's displeasing God? It's like quite, quite a heavy question to ask, you know. Um, I was thinking like if you wanted to like joke around with that around the coffee bar afterwards, I don't know how well that would go. You know, I don't know what responses you would get from people. But this was a God moment. This was like a spirit-led, spirit-inspired question. And he looked my friend in the eyes. He said, what are you doing that is displeasing God? And the guy just, just clicked. He knew exactly what it was. See, God had called him to ministry. And he was stressed about his financial future. So what he did is he started a business on the side. And he started this business and he was running this business and the business was growing and it was going well. And as that happened, he just knew, I've done this because I don't trust God. I'm displeasing God because it's disobedience. It's not wrong for someone else to start a business. It's not wrong for someone else to do that, but I am. So I'm living in fear, not in faith. So for him to obey, he needed to take off the old. He needed to take off the business and he needed to put on obedience to God. And he needed to start to follow him. Is there anything you're doing that's displeasing God today? You need to stop. We need to take off the old sinful ways. And we need to also put on some new ways as followers of Jesus. I think one of the things that I love thinking about is head, heart, and hands. I think it's like the most practical, obvious way for me to think about this. Head, your thoughts, your mindsets, uh, your learning, all of that, your worldview. Heart, your desires, the things you worship, the things you love, and hand, just practical behavior, practices, actions, everyday life. And this is what Paul has been speaking about here. When he talks about the head, he talks about us having learned Christ, having been taught in him, and he calls us to be renewed by the spirit of our minds. He talks about our heart, and he, he warns us against the hardness of heart. He warns us against being callous, and he warns us about being corrupt through deceitful desires. And then when he talks about our hands, he talks about taking off the old self. And putting on the new self. I just want to ask you today, what needs to change in your thinking? What mindset changes do you need? What are you believing that is not true of you in Christ? What are you desiring or loving or worshipping other than Jesus? That actually today you need to take off that desire and lay it at Jesus' feet. And what are you doing that you need to take off? And what aren't you doing that you need to put on as a follower of Jesus? For me, I told you when I became a Christian, I knew what the big, obvious external sins were that I needed to leave behind. And it was fairly easy to do that, you know. 
maybe that wasn't for you. But I think to this day, there's been this process of God revealing new things. Okay, Grant, you need to take that off. Maybe it's something I haven't even seen before, a complete blind spot to me. Okay, I need to take that off. I must take off this thing. To this day, God is revealing ways of thinking in my mind, things that I believe that just aren't true, things that I desire or love or idols in my heart that just need to leave, things that I do, the way I speak sometimes, attitudes that just need to go because they're not in line with the way of Jesus. This is a journey. But also over time, I've had to put on some new habits and some new ways, you know. I was not a prayer before I became a Christian. I needed to start to pray. I've encouraged you today to start to read the Bible, to really get into that. That was something I needed to put on. Just sort of Micah 6 verse 8, it says that we must act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. It's sort of us um, serving, which we've spoken about, church attendance, tithing, loving people that are like you and that are different from you, honoring God with your whole life. What are those things that you need to put on new habits, new practices that need to come out of your life? Because holiness isn't just about saying no to sin. It's also about saying yes to God. It's not just taking off the old dirty clothes and throwing them away. It's also about putting on the new clothes, the new way of Jesus into your life. Now, I read this story um, from a book about Ephesians uh, written by a guy named Tony Marita. And he speaks about the adoption process that he went through. And I think this is just so powerful. It says, after spending about 35 days in the Ukraine in an effort to adopt our four children, which is quite crazy on its own right, my wife and I finally had permission to go home with them. All of the legal work was done. We were eager to show them love in many ways, including cleaning them up and giving them some new clothes. They had been wearing the same smelly clothes and the same worn-out shoes every day since we arrived. That's 35 days. Who knows how much before that they've been wearing that same outfit. Once we had permission to leave, we bought them some brand new outfits. Kimberly, his wife, took the older two children and I took the younger two. I told the girls via a translator, girls were going home. Little Victoria asked, forever? Yes, forever, I said. Their faces lit up as I then gave them their denim dresses, socks, shirts and more. They went to the bathroom and changed every garment. In their orphanage, upon leaving, the children had to leave behind every piece of clothing they had been wearing. What a picture of the gospel. They put off their old orphanage garments and put on the new clothes from their adoptive parents. New clothes, new identity, new home, new security, and a new way of life. That's what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4. A new way of life because of who we are in Jesus. I want to ask you today, what bits of clothing do you need to take off today and leave behind? What are the things you need to stop doing today? Because they're from your old orphanage life. Not the new life you've got as a member of Jesus' family. And just praying yesterday on the beach, I just had this picture of some of us that actually there's like a dirty outfit that we're wearing underneath other layers. You're trying to cover that thing up with all these other layers of clothes so that no one sees it. Every now and then maybe the shirt lifts and people get like a peek at it, but you want to cover that up. I think God's saying today, don't let those things, whether it's something you've done or something that's been done to you, stay on, take it off and put on the new life and the new identity in Jesus. Finally, after telling us about all of this, Paul gets a little bit specific and speaks about some of the things that we actually need to do. And this is probably a really relevant list for the Ephesian church at this time. So as we look at some of these things, maybe just think in Durban today, in Harvest City, in your life, what would this list look like? But he says to us that we must replace lying with telling the truth. It's quite a big thing, you know. Satan is called the father of lies in the Bible. 
So when we lie, we're like Satan. And when we tell the truth, we're like God our Father. And this is what this whole thing is about, becoming like God, being transformed into His image. Secondly, he tells us to replace unrighteous anger with righteous anger. Yes, last night there was something that happened that was just so wrong. So wrong. Shane and I were involved in this situation. And we were so angry as we left the police station last night. It was just, it was criminal. It was wrong what happened. And that was a righteous anger, you know. This is not a good situation. This is not fair. But there's some anger in us about things that are just fine. Ungodly anger about things that we need to give over to God. Replace stealing with working and giving generously to others. What Paul is saying there is there are people that steal in that church. don't know if there's any thieves in the room today, but Paul needed to speak against stealing because there were some guys that would come into the church on Sunday and raise their hands and praise God and enjoy Him. Monday they'd go out and they'd be like stealing stuff from people, you know. I don't know if it was because they didn't know that stealing was a sin, the gospel hadn't dropped into their hearts, or they were just doing the wrong thing. But Paul was challenging them. And saying, you can't steal from others when you serve a God who has given his entire life for you. Go and get a job. Go and find some work. Go and earn some money so you can be generous like Jesus has been generous to you. He says, replace corrupt talk with the kind of talk that builds others up. Replace bitterness and rage with kindness and forgiveness. Because this is how Jesus has treated you. Replace, replace, replace. What are the old things in your life that you need to replace with the new ways of Jesus? And just finally, I think like looking at these things, I just thought all of this sounds a little bit like wedding vows. I don't know if that stood out to you at all. Just thinking when people do their vows, and I've been speaking to a lot of couples getting married over the last while, the vows are the most important part of the ceremony because this is your promise. This is what we're committing to in our marriage, you know. When I become a husband, when my identity changes, this is what I commit to as your husband or the other way as a wife. As your new relationship starts, this is kind of the parameters of what it's going to look like, you know. And you'll say things like, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. All of those beautiful words. And it's almost like this is what Paul is saying here, you know. Stop lying, tell the truth. Stop stealing, be generous. And he goes through all of these things, almost as vows that we as Christians take in our relationship with Jesus. And the reality is, now that Shell and I have been married for six years, if I break one of those wedding vows, she's not going to call the cops, you know. She could, but I haven't broken the law. I haven't done anything illegal. They're not going to throw me in a cell because I've broken a wedding vow. But I've hurt her, and I've broken her heart, which somehow is worse, you know. And it's the same thing with us in Jesus. If you are in Christ, when you sin, when you mess up, because we all will, you know what he's going to do? He's not going to call hell. (laughs) Grant messed up again. Looks like he's going to be coming to you. You're going to get judged. You're in big trouble. Come send the guys to take him away. It's not what he does. We're set free from the law. We're not under law anymore. We don't live this law of the Old Testament. We live under the law of love, the law of grace, the law of Jesus. You know, we haven't broken the law, but we've broken God's heart. And for us as people who love God, as we follow him, we have to take off sin. We have to take off disobedience and take on a life of worship. Because otherwise we break God's heart. As a community, we are called today, take off the old, put on the new, because we love him. Please stand and pray with me this morning.